Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Um, We're going to dive in, so grab your Bible, grab your app, grab your journal, whatever it is this morning, we're going to dive in. We are in the third week of a series right now, uh, and we're calling the series Coming to Your House, and we're talking about the radical uh, truth of God's hospitality expressed to us. And that's what we're doing, and we are using a story, we've been saying it this way, that is often um, relegated to the children's rooms of the local church. And we have pulled that story out of the children's room, brought it into the adult space, and we have lifted it up, and we are lifting it up almost like a fine jewel and turning it around in the sun, sort of learning and seeing all the different colors and hues and truth that we can extract from this. Uh, I was reading this past week, I don't know if you noticed this, that because of the storm, every time there's a storm uh, in our area, um, buried treasure gets unearthed. How many of you have noticed that? And people are out there, you know, just trying to discover buried treasure. There was a story on the news about a girl that found gold doubloons that were just right there on the shore for her. That's pretty cool. Give you something to do after church is over can go out there and see if there's anything for you. But we've been um, studying this together, and we've been learning around this, and we've, we're doing something that we haven't done, I think, maybe ever in the history of Community of Hope, and we are using a passage of Scripture, and we're working our way through it, and we're looking at it all month long. So that's what we're doing, and we're going to do that again this morning. And so uh, if you have your Bible or if you have your app, we encourage you to turn to it. We're going to put it on the screen here, but uh, again, as uh, is our newly established tradition, when we're reading God's Word, we invite everybody to stand. So if you would, stand with us, and uh, we are going to stand in honor of God's truth that is in the room this morning. So we're reading yet again this morning, Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. Here's how Luke tells the story. He says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, he said to Zacchaeus, hey, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, but all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back. Not just pay them back, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of God for the people of God thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, in this space, you come and do what only you can do. 
You can take ancient stories that have been anointed with your inspiration and make them live and breathe in us today. And so God, all of us in all of the places that we're navigating that brings us to this moment and to this space, in the name of Jesus, we commend it to you. And we ask, oh God, that you might help us. Give us perspective. Give us healing. Give us hope. Give us instruction. For we want to hear from you. And we pray together, everyone, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. I've heard it said that the grace of God has many colors. And I think the, the sentiment of that truth is this general idea that there are so many things woven into the grace of God, and it takes on many forms and many understandings as we navigate our way through life. Uh, I've come to believe that that's true. And that's one of the things that I want us to explore uh, this morning. Uh, I became a Christ follower when I was 16. My family always uh, went to church. Uh, they, my parents raised me in a home that honored God and that honored the Lord. And I had a brief period of time when I was in high school where inwardly I rebelled against that. Many of you probably have been in experiences like that. And I remember there was a, a, a time when I was in that space right before I gave my life to Christ uh, that I thought that religion, so to speak, was irrelevant and lacked purpose and lacked lacked depth. Now, that was probably because I was 15, and when you're 15, you know absolutely everything. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. I, I, I remember thinking about how much my dad didn't know, and then when I turned 21, how often I called him for his advice. That's kind of what we did. I can remember one time, uh, even because I knew everything, offering to my brother advice about parenting. The only problem was I'd never had kids, but I knew everything. And uh, finally, when I gave my life to Christ, um, I developed a relationship with a, a friend, who a pastor who became a dear friend of mine. And I often think about him being the guy who really mentored me in my beginning stages of, of following Jesus. And he established for me, I think, some patterns in my life that have paid off my whole journey with the Lord. And so he set me in a way on a firm foundation that, that has been instrumental to me as I've grown and as I've walked with Jesus across the years. And I remember one time that he told, was talking to me about grace and he, he began to teach me this idea that all of life, if we really understand it, is an act of grace that has been extended to us. Uh, if, if you know anything at all about maybe how this, this works, we know that mercy, the definition of mercy is to not receive what we rightfully deserve. That's mercy. Grace is to be a benefactor of that which we don't deserve. That's what grace is. And I can remember learning early on in my Christian experience that, that rightfully understood 
All of life is an act and a manifestation of God's grace. We have this benevolent God who is willing to extend his grace and his love to you and to every single person who welcomes him into their life. All of life is an act of grace. I remember uh, the words of an old hymn writer many years ago, a couple centuries ago. His name was Francis Faber, and this is what he said. He said, there is a wideness in God's mercy, like a wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice. We're going to talk about that in a few moments, which is more than liberty. And really what Francis Faber is talking about there is that um, all of life, uh, God has set us in motion into this world and his grace is all around us, even right now working. Some of us are here and, and, and it would be interesting to sort of track the, the components of our circumstances that bring us to this moment. And really rightfully understood, the, the follower of Christ never thinks anything is happenstance. You are here right now in this moment for a reason. And God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is wanting to say things to you and reveal himself to you in a fresh and profound way. Amen? So this is kind of the understanding about this. Now, interestingly, this is the the expression of God's grace revealed in humanity is, um, in many ways, the way that the church uh, first became a force for good in the world. This manifestation of God's grace revealed in hospitality and revealed in benevolence and kindness and compassion and goodness. Uh, in the ancient world, prior to the, the move of Christianity, those were values that were not really expressed in profound ways in our culture. In fact, I remember a guy by the name of Eusebius. I want to show you a picture of this guy. Somebody said, all we need to do is put a ball cap on and he fits in Loxahatchee. <laughs> so here's Eusebius, and he was a third century church historian. And he was um, known, uh, he was the Bishop of Caesarea. Now, you might remember Caesarea. Caesarea was the place that Jesus walked through with his disciples when he turned to the disciples and he said, hey, people are talking about me. What do you hear them saying? Remember that? And and the disciples said, well, some think you're Elijah, come back to life, and some think you're a prophet. And then Jesus, remember, in Caesarea, turned to Peter and said, hey, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, he was in the, the bishop of Caesarea in the late uh, 3rd century, early 4th century that experienced the first uh, global pandemic. It happened all the way back to him. And it was called the bubonic plague, if you've ever heard of it. And so this, the first pandemic was going on. And he began to write down and he began to notice the move of compassion with Christianity, uh, that, that was expressed in Christianity. Here's a quote he said. He said, all day long, some of them, he said, which is the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Other Christians gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all and welcomed them. 
So this move, this idea that that uh, Christianity is is wedded with the idea of compassion and kindness is a powerful thing. There's a, another guy that was writing around this time also. I want to show you him and show you his name. He was called Julian the Apostate. Now that's a name, isn't it? Uh, he was the last uh, 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 pagan, bishop, uh, pagan uh, emperor in Rome, and he was called Julian the Apostate. Imagine that being a name. You know, like you've got, you've got Bill the Nerd, or you've got Susie the Obnoxious, and we have Julian the Apostate. And so listen to what Julian the Apostate wrote. He said this, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, it's then that I noticed that the Galilean Christians, Christians observed this, and they devoted themselves to philanthropy and hospitality, and they supported not only the poor, their poor, but our poor as well, and all the men that our people lack aid from us, they offered care. And he went on to recommend in this time that all the pagan priests would sort of model this sort of compassion, and maybe there would be a revival and a resurgence of paganism. I thought that would be funnier than it turned out to be. Isn't that weird? And so what you find is this tension that anywhere the Christian church is, there is this move against the culture toward compassion, toward grace, toward mercy. Now, here's what I want to ask you this morning. If we were to talk about the church and its people, and we were all to be given an assignment this morning to leave here and go into various parts of our city and ask people their perception of the church, do you think that's what we'd hear? Maybe not. And if you and I were to trace all of this back to its, its logical beginning, it traces back to Jesus the Christ, the one that you and I have just worshipped in such a powerful way. Now, we have been looking at that particularly revealed in this story. And if you'll remember with us, uh, if you were with us last week, we began and we looked at Zacchaeus, and we observed Zacchaeus' real self. This is the part about Zacchaeus' life that we can understand from the scriptures. This is the part of Zacchaeus' life that he was willing to allow people to see. You know, here he was, a tax collector, the chief of tax collectors. And, and we talked about that. And then if you were following with us, we talked about, secondly, the tree. And we said the tree in so many uh, ways in this story represents sometimes the false self. That, and we were looking at the tree as not only the place that maybe Zacchaeus climbed up into so that he'd look down and see Jesus and that maybe that Jesus could see him, but the place that he retreated into as well so that he might be able somehow to manage his encounter with Jesus. And we learned in that moment that that's one of the, one of the big narratives within all of scripture is this idea of the false self. And then, of course, we looked at Jesus and we observed that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw everything. 
and he welcomed him anyway. This is such a powerful, powerful metaphor for the grace and the compassion and the kindness that has been revealed to us in Jesus. I think this is in many ways something that we have to go back to over and over and over again in our own spiritual journey to recognize that we have a God who in his benevolence and in his kindness sees absolutely every single thing there is about us and he chooses as an act of his will to love us anyway, right? There's something very powerful about love when it's totally offered without the idea that it's looking for anything in return. There's something very powerful about that. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to take those truths and I want to zoom up to about 5,000 feet and I want us to explore again from a different angle now, not only the dynamics of this relationship, but maybe this the special friends that Zacchaeus and Jesus brought along with them in this encounter that created such a powerful moment that here you and I would be some 2,000 years later still talking about this story. And so I want to point out some things because um, all of this is set against the backdrop, if you will, of the crowd. And we learn, I believe it's in Luke chapter 19 and verse 7, when all of this encounter was going on, Luke records it this way. He said, all the people saw this exchange between Zacchaeus and Jesus, and they began to mutter that to themselves, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is an important thing. When you read the story, what you can do if you're not careful is you can overlook the power of this dynamic. Uh, We live in a culture right now where um, sin is not a popular thing to talk about. It's often misunderstood. And so it's almost become a word that in even in some circles, we don't even understand, we've, we've lost a real sense of meaning as to what sin actually is and what it actually costs us in our lives. And I don't want to miss my moment uh, to talk about it. When the, when the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to the guest, uh, to be the guest uh, uh, of a sinner. I want you to notice that they are putting all of the emphasis of that word On Zacchaeus. In other words, this. They stood outside of that, pointed a finger, and made an indictment. And if we move on to the inside of it, this is what I want us to know. I've heard it described this way, and if you're taking notes, maybe you want to say that, uh, you maybe want to write this down. I've, one of my best definitions of sin I've heard is that sin is an attempt to meet my needs, my deep needs, with my own resources. All sin begins with a good desire paired with the wrong method 
that always equals pain. It's, it's, a, it's a desire that begins in an earnest place, but um, the method is wrong, and it always equals pain. The literal definition of the word sin is uh, hamartia, which in the Greek translation simply means this. You probably heard it before. It means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. The, the, in, the inference and in the, the analogy is almost like, a, like an archer shooting an arrow and missing the target. But there's something really powerful that I think we, we need to understand about that. It's not just that the archer is aiming incorrectly. Here's the better definition. It's that the arrow is crooked. If you've ever been to a carnival and you've gone to that booth where you take the gun and you shoot at the ducks. I remember a story on Andy Griffith where the guy, remember it, he, he, he adjusted the rifle in some way so that the sights were off. So every time Andy shot, he missed the duck. Maybe I'm the only one who remembers that, but <laughs> anyhow. It's to miss the mark. It's not to aim wrong, but that the arrow is crooked. So so really what I want to draw your attention to in this moment is this is the dilemma that, that is thrust upon Zacchaeus. This is the hole that he is being placed into by those around him. Probably every single person in this room or listening online has been in a place before where you have felt judged by another human being. Raise your hands if that's all of us. It's, it's part of the ravages of sin. Because if I can somehow point my finger at you, then somehow the lie is that's going to make me feel better about myself. And so this is the tension that Zacchaeus finds himself in. This is what's on display. In many ways, this is what I would say. This is most likely why he's in the tree. He feels it. He senses it. He experiences it, and so he's going to manage some way this encounter with Jesus. And here's the thing. We do that all the time. In fact, some of us are probably doing it right now. And so when we think about this space that Zacchaeus finds himself in, what can get him out of the hole that's been dug by the crowd? And thrust upon him. What can dig him out of that context that his false self and the management of that self has placed on him? What can get him out of that place where the lies of the enemy are swirling around in his mind and in his heart? And we all know this, right? The, um, the, the idea and the way that Satan really works in our lives is he plants an idea. He plants a lie. And the most powerful lies are the lies that have some truth within them, right? Remember the garden? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can have everything in the garden, but stay away from the the tree, uh, eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you do, you'll die. And then Satan comes and the tempter and the serpent, and he says, you will not surely die. 
It's an idea with some truth. Well, when I look at this, I notice some powerful things that I want to lift up that I think Zacchaeus manifests. This is the special uh, guest that Zacchaeus brings into this story. And I would describe it as this way, if you're taking notes, I would call it spiritual openness. Zacchaeus, to be in the tree, manifests a kind of openness to the things of God that allowed the story to begin to be overturned from bad to good. This is a real powerful moment in this deal. We notice it in Luke chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, a fig tree to see him, and Jesus was coming that way. It's hard to overestimate in this story, really, the spiritual openness that Zacchaeus manifested, even against the backdrop of a cultural moment of us outside of the church, where both outside and inside of the church, there's so much indifference everywhere. And, and we live in this age right now that almost the, the, the whole perception of our age is just impress me. Just do your best to impress me. Sometimes even when I'm preaching on Sunday, I can feel a little bit in the room. Give me your best shot. I can feel it. I remember years ago, a story I told Beth, I was going to share this story. And I remember uh, to speak against the, the idea of indifference leaking into the church. I remember this uh, man back in my day, his name was Tony Campolo. And he, he, was, he was preaching to a crowd in 1982 in England. And he was talking about trying to move them with toward compassion uh, against some of the plights that were going on in our world, namely starvation and disease among younger children all over the world. And he said, right now while we're in this conference, he said, 45,000 people are going to, children are going to die in this this next several hours. And that happens every single day. And then he went, and then he said, he could feel the indifference in the room. And Tony Campolo, he said, and, 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 and that's going to happen every day. And everybody in this room doesn't give a crap, only he doesn't use the word crap. And I told Beth when I was working on this message, I'm going to say that word. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, no, I think it'll be powerful. And she said, no, it won't. (laughs) And my mom is here this morning, and she said, no, you won't. (laughs) So you can see who's in charge in my house. But we live in a culture that's so indifferent. And some of you are here this morning, and you have circumstances in your life And you feel like Zacchaeus up in the tree. And I got to tell you, what will begin to move the needle of faith in your life is that you manifest an openness to the things of God. This is why often you hear us say on the stage, um, even when we take up an offering, we don't expect anything from you. We want to give something to you. Our only prayer, you'll hear Pastor Trevor or Jessica or Beth say often, is that you say it with me, come back. When you manifest spiritual openness to the things of God, mountains can move. 
We have a ministry on Monday nights, powerful ministry. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And on Monday night, uh, we often talk about the first three steps of recovery. There is, uh, you know, this first step, which is sort of a reality step, we, we often say, which is simply this. We recognize that we have forces in our lives for which we have become uh, uh, in, that have become powerful in our lives and we can't push against them. There are forces that have made our lives unmanageable in some way. And it could be a hurt, it could be a habit, it could be a compulsion, it could be a brokenness. And then that's, that's called what we call, you know, the, the, the reality step, I think it is. And then there's this, this next step, which is this understanding that there is a God, there's a benevolent God who has more power than we do that can bring us back to sanity and help us recover. And then there's what's called the faith step. Here it is. The faith step is that we turn our lives over to the care and control of this benevolent God. And the only way that happens is you have to manifest an openness to the things of God. For many of us this morning, that's the message. Will you come to this space? Will you come before this benevolent God who has expressed kindness to you? And will you just learn to develop a posture in your life that says, Lord, I'm going to be open in this moment and I'm going to be receptive that maybe that there are some things going on in my life that I don't understand. There are some lies that have truth within them that have become a part of my DNA, and I'm living out some things that I should no longer live out. And we manifest this spiritual openness, and God begins to do what only God can do. That's the first step. And that's the special friend that Zacchaeus brings. Let me tell you, of course, and you can feel it and hear it in the room, what's the special friend that Jesus brings? It's kindness. Kindness. We see it in the next few verses in this text. Let me show it to you real quick. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him. Gladly. Now, here's what I want you to know. Jesus knew the tension in the crowd. He knew it. He felt it. He knew that that was going to be a provocative moment. And here's what I love about Jesus. He ain't afraid of nothing. Right? And so he points that out. It becomes a rock of offense to the crowd. And you'll notice because of the spiritual openness, Zacchaeus comes down out of that tree and he welcomes him gladly. I read somewhere that that spiritual kindness releases and breaks strongholds in people's life. I think if there was ever a time that that is true, it's true in this cultural moment we find ourselves in. Because you and I only have a couple of Responses available to us. Hatred being the largest one. And when we manifest kindness, we are, we are observing the DNA 
of what it means to be as a follower of Jesus. We are, we are being um, extenders of, of the gracious benefactor in our God giving his grace and his goodness to us. Uh, our church has been established on that very principle. I think it was Paul who said in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Luke, uh, what's it say there, Zach? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not really realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The Bible says he's kind, not wanting anybody to perish, but for everyone to come to a knowledge of who he is. And what did that afford in, in Zacchaeus' life, of course, just in a closing comment? It showed up in repentance. His life changed radically. Every now and again, I think every single one of us who names the name of Christ has to sit and examine our lives and ask ourselves, what has changed about us as a result of us coming to faith in Christ? My favorite stories around Community Hope are the stories when I run into the com- in the community and I run into somebody who's been attending here and growing here, and, and they'll say things to me like this, man, I, you know, my friend, and they'll name the name as... It's just loving what's happening in the church. And I I tell you, I I can't really describe it. They're just different. And sometimes I'll say, different in a good way? And most of the time they say, yes. (laughs) The special friends of spiritual openness matched with God's kindness can change the human heart. Let him change yours. Lord, I pray this morning that you might help us get this truth down out of our head and into our heart. Would you remind us, oh God, that um, that is the very nature of the Christian experience. You see us, you welcome us, you love us, but you don't leave us the same. Let us never mistake your kindness for what the world wants to say this morning is um, an allowance for every single thing under the sun. Lord, we give ourselves to you and we remind ourselves of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, You know, Lord, we're learning that uh, we need you, and we're also learning that you're available to us. So God, uh, where we find ourselves right now, would you continue to show us this deep truth, that it might not be just an aspirational idea, something we think about in our mind, but would the real essence of that sink into our hearts? So that, God, we might know not only your kindness revealed to us, but that we might become exhibit A 
of your kindness expressed to the world. This we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. We have folks here that would pray with you if you have a personal concern. God bless you. Go in his mercy and his grace. We'll see you next weekend.